Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to We Got Balls. And today we've got a fascinating topic, especially for two guys, two white guys. We're going to mix it up. Yeah, we're going to mix that up. Us two white guys that live in the southern part of the U.S., I mean, we live in a very racially diverse culture, and we want to talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to sexual attraction. If you look at the top 30 on Pornhub's year interview um, top topics, Scott, there is a whole lot of interracial porn that people are interested in. Oh, my gosh. I mean, let me just run through the data for you just off the top of Pornhub searches and what people are watching. So in terms of the top searches, the top 30 searches worldwide. So here's what we've got. Number five, Pinay, which is Philippine. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, what, pineapple porn? What are we What are we talking about? What Pinay, is Pinay? P-I-N-A-Y, which is uh, a term for Filipino. Oh, um, Filipino. Okay, so that's uh, e- East Asian. Yeah, we'll go for that. Yeah. Number six would be Asian. Okay. In number the box. 11 is Latina. Okay. Number 12 is Ebony, which is beautiful black woman. Exactly. Number 24 is Indian. And okay. uh, number... 26 is black. So in those top 30 categories, you've got a dominant amount of search occurring in these categories of interracial ethnicity. In the United States, the number three searched for term is Ebony. The number four is Latina. Number five, Asian. Number nine, BBC. Wait, wait, wait. Say that one more time. Three, four, and five. Three, four, and five. all, All interracial categories. Number nine would be BBC, which is big black cock. So people looking at big black penises. And number 13 would be black. So, again, the amount of search going on both worldwide and in the United States in particular regarding kind of uh, multiracial ethnic um, individuals in the pornography is exceptionally high. Well, and, and, and let's not, let's not, you know, if you go to places like Pornhub, and at least it's in my memory, there are whole channels for interracial porn, especially with um, black guys and white girls, or um, massage, or uh, white guys and black girls, or we talked about cuckolding in a previous episode. That's a big thing with cuckolding is to have a more powerful or, or more masculine and sometimes of a different race man. Uh, uh, having sex with someone's partner. And so that's kind of the shame arousal dynamic around that. So there's a whole lot in the, as we say down here in uh, on the Gulf Coast, there's a whole lot in the gumbo in this topic. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, it doesn't matter which side of the menu you're ordering from. So it's the same in gay search. So number three term in gay search is Panay. Number five is black. Number seven is Asian. Number eight, Japanese, which I think has a lot to do with anime, not necessarily looking for Japanese people, but um, number 10 is BBC in that category as well. So this is popular, whether you're a guy attracted to women or a guy attracted to other guys, this is 
one of those categories where it taps into a lot of dynamics. So what are they? Let's, let's, let's talk about that. So we talk about visual cues, sexual interests, breasts, butts, feet, penises. Obviously, big black cock is one of those terms that taps into the visual cue of uh, sexual interest by demonstrating men with big penises, black guys with big mm-hmm. penises. Mm-hmm. So what does that tie into? Well, there, there's a number of things there besides the visual cued sexual interest. There's the kind of the s- social, if you want to call them social dynamics or the psychological cues around this mythological belief that black men are well endowed compared to everybody else in the world. Okay, so pause on that real quick, because I think when we're talking about big black cock, I mean, we talked about in previous penis episodes that big penises are just uh, – they're desired by both men and many women. So when we're talking about this, there is an element of what we've already discussed in the arousal dynamics, which are, I want someone that represents masculinity. So That's right. this, so an, an, a typically larger size penis. And, and the, the, many the, visual, the visual cue in this case is the representation, like the big penis represents the size of the man's masculine. Like he's a big man, right? Yeah. And he's a different color. And we can't leave that out is that there is the differentiation of color and culture uh, that that makes, uh, you know, when when we're looking as humans, we have different needs. Security is one, but variety is a big human need. So when we want to have somebody different, that's the cue of novelty, right? So we tend to be more sexually aroused when the setting changes, when the dynamics change when the color of the skin of the person we're imagining being with changes. So there's that aspect, but there's also cultural dynamics in here because if, if you culturally believe, if you have this myth that black men have bigger penises than everybody else, you don't even need the sexual cue. You've just got the racial cue, the skin color that goes off of that mythology. And that's been around for hundreds of years. I mean, you can go back and look in the annals of white explorers going to Africa and how they wrote about the size of the men's genitals. This is from the 17, 1800s. So this has been, you know, reported. It's it's another way of kind of classifying people as others, I think, and dehumanizing them to make them more animalistic in a sense, and to basically justify objecting people on the size of their body part, right? Yeah. So I don't or, have to Or feel- their role, or their sexual role that they play yeah. The belief that, you know, these people are more sexually uh, free or uh, they're more sexual in their nature. And so therefore, it it's novel not only to connect with somebody like that, but I don't have to feel as guilty because they like having lots of sex. And so if I'm using them as an object, I'm not really hurting anybody. Right. So there's those dynamics at play there. And I think I think when you consider interracial category, you always have to think of that psychological dynamic of how does this allow me in, in my fantasies to distance myself from the person to an extent that I don't have to feel any sense of shame about the fact that I'm actually using another person sexually. And I think it helps serve that purpose if I can kind of dehumanize you by seeing you as, well, you're a completely different race or you're more subservient or you're, you you have l- lower sexual standards or morals than, than I do. So right. I don't have to feel bad about using you. So I think we really have to bring in this aspect, Scott, and we, it'll kind of mix into the stew here. 
which is when we're talking about interracial porn, we're also talking about a little bit of the class system that we don't really understand. I mean, in other cultures, um, Indian culture, like uh, Asian Indian culture, obviously there's a more existing class system. Even in British culture, there seems to be more existing class system. But the reality is humanity's always had a class system. And we have the haves and the have-nots. We have those who are able to hold power and have freedom and and be able to influence, and those who do not. And race has always been a big part of that. A great a great show that I think is really important that kind of takes the color differentiation out of it, but tells you a lot about the class issue. The issue is a uh, is an old I think it's on was on Stars called Spartacus. You ever see Spartacus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spartacus is talking about, you know, these very masculine, powerful men who were training and a lot of it's set in the the, the training house. Um, I don't remember the name, the Roman name for it. But anyways, but it's the women of the of the household lusting after these strong, powerful men. And the, the, the biggest thing you can do is to have one of these uh, gladiators service you. And so there's a there's a sense of othering and objectifying in that sense, but it's a class system. They're all Romans or Greeks or in a relatively Caucasian dynamic. But I think that bleeds over into what we're talking about into interracial porn. Yeah, definitely for sure, which means you're also dealing with this power dynamic. So we talk about the power dynamic a lot because it's a psychological factor. If I grow up in a home and, you know, Jay Stringer documented this in his book, Unwanted, in the research that he did for the book, that a man who grows up in a home that tends to feel like he's under his dominant parents, you know, thumbs all the time, like they're dominating over him, tends to grow up with sexual fantasies that reverse that dynamic by imagining sexual scenarios. And when somebody where somebody else is kind of on their knees in front of him, servicing him, and it's typically somebody that's going to be more petite or less powerful than him in some way. And race is one way to kind of leverage that. So I think it's interesting. I did a little digging in just the dynamics of let's say massage parlors in this country, because the Asian search figures are really, really high. And so there is a correlate for this in the real world in sexually acting out behavior where it lets the, the massage industry in the United States, the illegitimate massage industry is pegged at around $4.5 billion in revenue a year. Yeah. We're That's talking about happy ending massage. Happy That's ending massages. The, the, and there are estimated in a Forbes article that I found from 2021, there are estimated to be 25,000 illegitimate massage parlors in the United States. The majority of those, it's been documented are staffed by um, undocumented immigrants, mainly from Asian and Latino countries. So Hispanic women, Asian women are servicing guys in those massage parlors with happy endings. Okay, so so let's, can we kind of trace that back? Can we pull over for just a second and kind of trace the development of that for, say, someone who finds that arousing, right? So you have the power dynamic that you mentioned, you know, feeling feeling powerless or wanting to have power over uh, somebody, whatever the relational family of origin issue is. And maybe it was you, you know, you go, you honestly go get a massage. You just happen to go to one of these parlors that offers the happy ending without really even knowing. Or 
maybe you decided, hey, I'm going to take a vacation and you go to Thailand or you go to the Philippines and you go to one of these places where culturally these types of massages are, are accepted much more so than they are in the States. And so you have the experience, you get a soapy massage, you get a Thai massage, you get, you know, whatever it is. And you have this, oh my gosh, this feels great. Now, on top of the this feels great is also the what did I do is the shame component because you've crossed over the, the non-sexual touch uh, that is healthy, that everybody wants, everybody needs from birth all the way to death. And now you've added on an element where you've got this sexual compulsive orgasmic cocktail and so now that that stacks on, and so then you begin to go, okay, I want more of that, but I can't go get a massage every day. What can I do? Oh, I'll just go log on and begin to look at Asian women and maybe Asian women or Latina women are, the, are my arousal template. And so then that, that becomes what you desire, what you get turned on by because of your lived experiences. First, what you didn't get when you were younger. And second, what you did get, but it really was not complete. It, it created a, uh, a coping behavior for you in your body that now you act out with in person and online. Yeah. So we, yeah. So we call that uh, reenactment. I am in some way reenacting my growing up or my relationship with my parents growing up in my home in some sense. And I'm going back and I act out sexually in a way that repeats that dynamic in some sense especially if I grow up feeling a lot of shame, I may have to repeat that sexual experience in a way that leaves me feeling shameful. Um, yes. So think about a massage. I'm taking all my clothes off and I'm sitting there naked, exposed to this girl. Maybe it's because I felt a shame around my body and my nude, you know, my naked body growing up in my home. Maybe, I, maybe there was a lot of sexual shame in my house. So that disrobing and being touched and massaged while I'm naked helps reverse that condition, but it does it in a way that brings me a lot of pleasure instead of the pain that I experienced growing up around the shame I felt in my home. At the second time, I may be working to reverse that dynamic in a way that makes me feel powerful. So I'm purposely choosing a more petite, other race, other you know uh, ethnicity person so that I don't have to feel the guilt and the shame that I would normally feel if I was doing this with another person of my own race, because I can distance myself from that. So it's, yeah, it's a different reenactment. Enough. Yeah. Different enough. Yeah. So it's a reenactment that allows me to repeat and reverse. So you can have both mm -hmm. of those dynamics going on or just mm -hmm. one of them. I have to repeat it in the same way or I have to repeat it, but in a way that makes me feel powerful. So it, it all depends on the personal's individual story. You can't, you know, it'd be great to have a book of fantasies that you could look in and find the exact match. But so much of that is based on an individual's subjective experience. So you can't really say, well, this is the interpretation of the fantasy or what you're trying to accomplish in every case, because you have to hear what somebody's story is. And then, then you have those symbolic meanings that are kind of embedded in the culture. They don't necessarily have to do with the person's individual story, but they do have a lot to do with the person's cultural story. So, um, you know, for example, in, in the Pornhub searches, when they looked by state, I thought this was kind of fascinating. So in typical Southern states, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, and North Carolina, they're searching a lot for black 
content. I wonder why that is, Scott. I wonder, maybe you would think that, hey, I was at the grocery store, I was out jogging, or I went to the mall, and I saw a really attractive person of the opposite sex. And it made me curious. And I want, I went home and thought, I'll look at some pictures. And then I look at some pictures and then I get onto the porn search and go, man, I bet this, I bet there's some, and guess what? Porn will always offer us the most um, uh, arousing version of our uh, attraction and really take it to the next. I mean, that's what porn is designed to do, to take it to a level that it feels real enough, but is so unreal and so unattainable and so shameful that it's going to hook me in. Yeah. So we're reenacting the South, right? Um, yeah. yeah. This is another form of slavery. Um, in New York City, it's Dominicans. And okay. in California, it's Asians. I wonder why. So <laughs> you, you find kind of a correlation there, don't you, in how people of those particular uh, ethnicities have been used in those particular segments of the culture in the United States for personal exploitation. So again, we're, we're subconsciously repeating the exploitation of other people that has been done for hundreds of years in the United States. So let's go to, let's kind of just outline some of the categories that we've talked about a lot on the podcast in terms of psychological ones. So we've talked about power over or power under that theme is really prevalent with the interracial category. Taboo? Taboo. How is that yes. applied to this? Well, if I'm white and I'm having a sexual fantasy about engaging with a uh, Latino or a black person, maybe it allows me to cross that transgressive barrier that I've been told in my family. We don't do that here. You know, we only blah, blah, blah. Well, Scott, I think we need to pull over again and just and just get some clarity on this piece because I, I can't tell you how many girls that I knew grew, gr- growing up who had racist fathers and they would bring black guy after black guy after black guy home as a literal f u to their dad. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a there's a big piece of that is when we've been harmed by our families and their families don't acknowledge it. I'm going to go and move away from what is acceptable and normal in that family dynamic and begin to desire the things that would be offensive to them, but are pleasurable to me. Well, yeah, when you've been, you've kind of been ridden over by your dad all your life. How do you basically stick your middle finger up to your dad? You go to the very thing that your dad says he despises and you love that. And you and you want that. And that's the I think more than love it, you want it. You want to be able to say, hey, screw you, dad. And I'm I'm going to make this uh, part of my identity and who I am, because frankly, we we didn't get a, a healthy, connected um, and even accepting identity from a lot of our fathers and mothers. And so we create what who will be accepting to me. And there's the 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 flip side of the tabooness is there's a ton of people of different races who would love to be in a relationship or cared for by someone who's caucasian so let's call it what it is caucasians especially in the western culture have the power and they have the money and they have the opportunity and so if you get in a relationship with them i mean this is probably most explicit in like the male order bride dynamic right So you go and you go and you go to the Philippines and get a mail order bride or Thailand or whatever. They're excited because they think this, this person can provide for me is stable, is caring. And so I go, 
hey, and I get to be F you to my parents in this process as well. And I'm not demonizing any of this. If this is where you are, I'm not, we're not shaming you in any way. We're just trying to be aware of the power dynamics and the taboo issues that exist in interracial relationships and ultimately interracial sexual compulsive behaviors. Yeah. And so this taboo element, I consider it to be freedom from norms or the restraints of the norms. So there's that liberty that when I throw off these norms in my family system or my religious system, you know, when you grew up in the South, I got to tell you, I I was in a church in college where um, my best friend who was black wanted to marry a white girl. And Mm -hmm. everybody in the leadership of this church was from the South. And there were guys that could not get over this. Yeah, like they're racist. They, they, they were, it was. It was racist. They were yeah. racist. And um and it exposed the racism and we had to basically this little church in Iowa was confronting the power structure in this this religious group saying you guys are a bunch of redneck racists. Um like we don't do that up here. <laughs> yeah. So and, and and let me say this just because you have a uh a desire for someone of a different ethnicity doesn't make you racist or not racist. I I, I use that word too flippantly. Everybody's racist on some level. The question is, will you see someone else as an as a human being and care for them as they deserve, or will you use them and belittle them and try to control them based upon your fear or shame or whatever's going on? Yeah, that's right. So I think there's also this aspect of, you know, we talked about reenact, repetition, reverse, but there's also re-identify. Maybe I don't like the identity of being a racist that my dad wants me to be taking on. And so this is what allows me to kind of re-identify myself as a person and, you know, have a different identity. The, the other way that I've seen this show up, particularly with guys that I've dealt with that struggle with same sex attraction is if they grew up in, uh, let's say a a particular racial culture, black, Latino, uh, whatever, Asian culture, and they felt really ostracized in the culture, but accepted by other guys, white guys in particular, that might tap into their arousal template in terms of who they imagine acting out with, because they've always been accepted by white guys who view them as novel or want to enjoy connecting with them because of their perceived greater masculinity, and yet felt rejected by their own, you know, folks in their own ethnicity or race. So Again, there's a reversal dynamic at play there. You know, I think the thing in this category is to, if, if this is a dynamic that plays a role in the kind of pornography that you watch or the way that you sought partners to act out with, I would ask you to be maybe curious about when did this enter into your life? What are the family dynamics that are at play in my own story that may be at play in how I'm trying to reverse the harm that's occurred to me in my family system, and how does connecting with somebody from an interracial background help me find that sense of arousal and acceptance and belonging that I'm looking for in sexually acting out? Because if you think about, again, what is sex? It's this desire to connect. It's this desire to belong, to be seen, to be soothed, to be welcomed. And maybe I don't feel welcome among um you know, my people, white, white my black people, people white people, yeah. whatever, my whatever. Yeah. And maybe I do over here. Well, and I think as well, Scott, this is the most human of the arousal template discussions. 
And I think when we talk about humanity, ultimately we're looking for what you just said, connection, belonging, security, um, you know, novelty is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with some novelty in life, but there, what we're, what we're moving into is rather than seeing these other people as people and as individuals who have their own stories and their own issues and their own, um, uh, struggles in life, we, we end up commodifying people. And, and we do this across the spectrum of porn, you know, whether you're white, black, male, female, uh, you know, uh, old, young, it's all these arousal templates are commodifications of things that we're trying to soothe in our childhood pain. But in this particularly, we, we really are it, I mean, we've talked more in this episode, Scott, about relationships. I think we've talked about it in any other uh, podcast episode that we've done because this bleeds so easily over into just everyday life. I live with people who are different than me. I am turned on by people who are different than me. I need to make sense of what it means to be a human being in my skin, in my body, with my story, with all these other dynamics and it's so easy for people to just simply take the other, and I, you used that word earlier, I think it's very helpful, the other, and want to be in a place where I'm consuming the other. And so when, when you're in this spot of really being turned on by someone who's a different race than you or a different class than you, whatever that may be, the invitation is to just look at the human experience in your day-to-day -day and even in your childhood so that you can begin to get curious and really compassionate. I think of all the topics that we've covered, Scott, this is the one that needs the most compassion. We really have to dig into, okay, where do I not feel loved? Where do I feel like this version of love is going to create some safety and security and, and purpose in my life? And, and that, that really, it's, it's like you have to sit with that. This particular um, arousal template dynamic is personal for me, Scott. And I think when we start taking people and removing them from the human dynamic, the connective caring dynamic, it's really easy to commodify and objectify and use and, and hurt. Remember the old phrase in therapy about hurt people? You remember what that is, Scott? Hurt people hurt people. Right. So that's where we are when we're objectifying people of a different race. We're taking the pain that was given to us, probably by our parents, maybe by a sexual abuser, maybe by a church, maybe by a number of different things, and we're transmitting that to someone else. Maybe it's just virtual, and yeah, what's, what's wrong with that? There's a shit ton wrong with that. We can talk about you know the porn industry and how that all works another time. But the reality is, at some point, it's going to move into objectifying a real human being. What does it feel like to be a woman who is trafficked to the United States that's, that is in one of those massage parlors? And she has to stay up late every night servicing these men against her will just so that the person who trafficked her says, well, we'll send a few dollars back to your, um, to your family or we'll threaten you with this violence. What is it like to be that human being? And, and again, I'm not trying to shame you. If you read Unwanted, Jay Stringer has a whole chapter about this, that there really is a human issue at stake when we're dealing with sexual arousal that we need to be aware of. And so um, whether that's 
people in massage parlors, whether that's, I mean, black women in the culture are frankly seen so many times as, um, as baby makers. You get them pregnant and you have them raise your kids, but you don't love them and care for them and create a family with them. You leave them to do, I mean, the bedrock of the black community oftentimes is the women who have endured hardship to raise kids after being sexual objects. That's a human condition, Scott. So I think when we get into this stuff, it's really important that we just show some some deep compassion, pause and get curious about where it is in my family and my story that I wasn't shown the compassion that I needed. And I take that care from someone else. Yeah, um, I, so, think it's, I think it's true that guys that grew up feeling like they were an object tend to treat themselves and others like objects as well. And it's it's easy to distance ourselves from the real harm that's being done to another person and to ourselves when we see ourselves as objects. And you know, that's I think the call that the the gospel and the message of the Bible is making to us is can you see another person as an image bearer of the invisible God and treat them with honor and respect rather than an object, rather than dehumanizing them to somebody that you, something that you can, something, not a somebody, but a something that you can use. So. Well, and Scott, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I had this thought yesterday, so I'm just going to speak it out loud. If you can't value all life, you don't value any life. And all life includes people who are lesser than in difficult circumstances and we like in the, in the, in the conservative world like to talk about abortion as being pro life. That's just that's just it's going to piss people off when I say things, and I'm probably going to get canceled. It's bullshit because life starts at birth and ends at death, and all every bit of life in between matters. And we want to care for the unborn. We want to care for the people who are conceiving. We want to care for the people who are struggling, for the poor, for the people who are lesser than, for the people who are being objectified, for the people who have been wounded and hurt, for the people who are trying to use their power to wound others. Everybody needs care. Everybody needs care if they're alive. So whether you want to put this in a religious box or not, I don't care. But I follow the guy who said, I came that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. And I think that that means far more than just following a doctrine and sitting and aligning yourself with a group. It means the human condition continues, and we want to continue to love as we all deserve to be loved. So we got a little preachy there at the end. You know, it happens. It, you know, we get real passionate about this stuff. Uh, so if you feel offended, just come back next time. We'll be we'll, we'll be we'll bring it back down to the <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll get back to the locker room talk. But this this one this was a hard episode for me. I don't know if it was for you, Scott. It was a hard one because there's a there's a lot of weight there. There's a lot of meaning in these ideas. And I mean, I've had my own dabbling with this in the past and try to figure out what that means and you know sort it through some of it. Some of it I haven't. I have nine grandchildren and three of them are interracial. So <laughs> I care about, I care about those little girls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to be with one another and care for one another. And guess what? We don't have all the answers. We're not trying to have all the answers, but we want to invite you to move out of a search for getting things right and into the discourse of telling the story of your life so that you can feel 
kindness and curiosity in your body. So if we can help you with that, reach out to us. Um, we've been talking to people this week who've reached out to us and are excited to begin the healing journey. And we want to offer that to you as well. So um, hope you keep listening and uh, come back for another episode of We Got Balls. And you do too. Take care, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at pornfreemasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com. 